What's up, Thought Criminals? Hillsdale's most trusted and beloved lawyer returns to kick you some more straight facts. Today I'm going to be talking about the Missouri v. Biden case, giving you my legal analysis, showing you where things are and perhaps where they may go. The discovery so far in this case just shows the blatant and continuous lies and gaslighting from the Ferengis we've received for years on end. The facts coming out here just vindicate what I've been saying all along, even though I've been constantly smeared and slandered for it. But that's just how it works. If you want to speak the truth, they're going to make it very, very hard for you to get that message out there. That's why I put the time and effort into bringing it to you here on the show, because the fact of the matter is so many people out there are just NPCs gobbling down every mainstream media narrative, not critically thinking at all. But... There, it's true there still are a lot of people we can reach with this message if we can just get it to them. So if you appreciate what I do, subscribe to the show, support it, and share it with your friends so we can keep the show going and have more people get a nice smack in the face with reality. <laughs> and I truly do appreciate all of you who do put your money where your mouth is and support the show. So in episode 85, I believe it was, I discussed the Missouri v. Biden case. That was in February, so I covered up until that point in time. And I promised you then, if there were any new developments worth doing a show over, that I would. So here I am delivering them to you. And if you want the full background on the case, I highly recommend you go back and watch that episode. But I'll give everyone here just some bullet points as a brief uh, refresher. So this case was originally brought in May of 2022, and since then there have been three amended complaints, the last of which was actually in May of this year. So in this case, the Attorneys General of Missouri and Louisiana, on behalf of their states, filed a lawsuit against the feds for the blatant First Amendment violations resulting from free speech suppression over social media. Now, there's a plethora of defendants in this case. If you recall from that other episode, uh, I had a hell of a time with some of those names, which I'm sure you all enjoyed listening to me butcher them. So I'm not going to list them all again, but the main defendants just review Joe Biden, his press secretary, the Surgeon General, Tony Fauci, the patron saint of COVID, the Department of Health and Human Services, the NIAID, CDC, Department of Homeland Security, the Food and Drug Administration, the DOJ, the FBI, and a bunch of individual named actors within these uh, federal government departments. Essentially, this, is, this case is about how all of these government actors use their authority to coerce social media companies into censoring views they didn't want and to push narratives the government did want. So the main narratives in this complaint that the government censored are as follows. The Hunter Biden laptop story. Maybe Sleepy Joe is just like, hey, if you make that story go away, I'll let you come rail a few lines in the Oval Office with me and Hunter. <laughs> the lab leak theory of COVID-19. And of course, that's something Senator Rand Paul has been absolutely heroic on. 
for bringing to public spotlight because if he hadn't been giving this the attention it had and just hammering on the story over and over, uh, it never would have gotten to us, I'm sure. Mask and COVID lockdowns. Now, myself and many of you, I'm sure, have had accounts suspended or even nuked, such as my YouTube, just for using the word COVID or, or the just utter blasphemy and questioning the narrative and wisdom of St. Tony Fauci, which we all know turned out to be a total crock of phony baloney horseshit. And of course, all those COVID topics were ones I discussed over and over again on this show back in 2021 in my attempts to fight the ridiculous narrative and, and of course, facing the endless line of Karens ready to stab me with their pitchforks for not wearing the damn mask. And finally, the other major issue they discuss in this complaint is speech about election integrity and the security of voting by mail. Again, just another one of those topics you just cannot touch without setting off the red alert. So the allegation here is how these narratives were censored is that uh, the defendants using their official authority have threatened, cajoled, and colluded with social media companies to silence disfavored speakers and viewpoints. Which of course they did. Anyone who has two brain cells in action during the past two years could tell you that. And there is a lot of meat in this complaint. They give example after example of the censorship, but I'm just giving you guys a general overview, but there's a lot of very good and specific examples here. These aren't just, you know, bare bones or merely conclusory. So obviously some real Orwellian times we're living in with this outright uh, suppression, but this judge, Terry A. Daughtry or Daughtry, uh, must be one of the few, and I mean very few, good ones. Because he issued an order granting the plaintiff's preliminary injunction on, of all days, July 4th. And I think the chosen date here was no coincidence. So this ruling was 155 pages long. I really like this quote here as part of the conclusion from Judge Dotry, And he says, Although this case is... Still relatively young, and at this stage, the court is only examining it in terms of plaintiffs' likelihood of success on the merits. The evidence produced thus far depicts an almost dystopian scenario. During the COVID-19 pandemic, a period perhaps best characterized by widespread doubt and uncertainty, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian Ministry of Truth. <laughs> How true is that? Very encouraging for a federal judge to acknowledge the depth of what is really going on here. So the judge on July 4th ordered that the defendants were further enjoined and restrained from taking the following actions as to social media companies. One, meeting with social media companies for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech posted on social media platforms. Two, specifically flagging content or posts on social media platforms and or forwarding such to social media companies, urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner for removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech. Three, 
urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner social media companies to change their guidelines for removing, deleting, suppressing, or reducing content containing protected free speech. Four, emailing, calling, sending letters, texting, or engaging in any communication of any kind with social media companies urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner for removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech. Five, collaborating, coordinating, partnering, switchboarding, and or jointly working with the Election Integrity Partnership, the Virality Project, the Stanford Internet Observatory, or any like project or group for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content posted with social media companies containing protected free speech. Six, threatening, pressuring, or coercing social media companies in any manner to remove, delete, suppress, or reduce posted content of postings containing protected free speech. Seven, taking any action such as urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner social media companies to remove, delete, suppress, or reduce posted content protected by the free speech clause of the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Eight, following up with the social media companies to determine whether the social media companies removed, deleted, suppressed, or reduced previous social media postings containing protected free speech. Nine, requesting content reports from social media companies detailing actions taken to remove, delete, suppress, or reduce content containing protected free speech. And 10, notifying social media companies to be on the lookout, quote, BOLO, end quote, for postings containing protected free speech. This preliminary injunction precludes said named defendants, their agents, officers, employees, contractors, and all acting in concert with them from the aforementioned conduct. This preliminary injunction also precludes said named defendants, their agents, officers, employees, and contractors from acting in concert with others who are engaged in said conduct. So that, my friends, is a hell of an order, quite a lengthy and detailed one, and a huge victory for free speech. Now, that doesn't mean the war is over. This is only a temporary order, and there's still the entirety of the case to be won as a whole. But the positive here, not only this being granted, but you have to show what's called success on the merits to prevail in a preliminary injunction, which means you have to prove to the judge you're likely to win the overall case for it to be granted. So for the plaintiffs to do that here, um, that's a very good sign, which shows they have a good chance to win this case. Now, of course, there should need to be an injunction to enforce freedom of speech. Uh, I believe we already have a protection for that, um, and the government should know that. But, and this is just the way things should already be done. But, of course, the losers and jokers and the federal government filed a motion to stay this injunction that was just ordered, which is very telling about how they, in the government, view our rights. They're essentially appealing the order, telling them not to violate our free speech. A stay means, if granted, that the injunction will not take effect until after an appeal is heard. Which, in that case, will give the Ferengis writ large to infringe on all our rights all over, just like they've been doing during the meantime, which could be months, years, etc. So, we have Judge Dotry issuing 
this preliminary injunction, win for the good guys. Government turns right around, tries to get a stay on the injunction. On February 10th, Judge Dotry issued a Mirandum ruling on the government's motion to stay the injunction. And there's a little bit of a synopsis here from a journalist named Tracy Beans. And this is really good. It's on UncoverDC.com. Some pretty good information on this website. So I encourage you to take it out. So I'm going to read what she has here. The judge has issued a Mirandum ruling on the government's motion to stay injunction in Missouri v. Biden. It's another amazing day for freedom. The judge first goes through the criteria for granting an injunction. And I touched on a little of this, but there's four points you have to show. So here she has a paragraph from the actual order or from the actual ruling, paragraph two, law and analysis. In determining whether to grant a stay pending appeal, a court is to consider, one, whether the stay applicant has made a strong showing he is likely to succeed on the merits. Two, whether the applicant will be irrepar irreparably injured absent a stay. Three, whether issuance of the stay will substantially injure the other parties interested in the proceeding. And four, where the public interest lies. In evaluating these factors, courts have refused to apply them in a rigid or mechanical fashion. So then she says, the court again states they feel the plaintiffs will succeed on the merits. But he also adds something that the White House defendants and the Surgeon General defendants were found to have likely engaged in the coercion of social media companies. He then goes on again to give examples. So this is back to the opinion. A, success on the merits. For all the reasons set forth in the Mirandum ruling, this court finds that plaintiffs have shown a likelihood of success on the merits, and therefore that defendants have failed to show a likelihood of success on the merits. As discussed in detail in the ruling, all of defendants likely significantly encouraged and or jointly participated with these social media companies to engage in viewpoint-based suppression of protected free speech. Additionally, the White House defendants and the Surgeon General defendants were found to have likely engaged in coercion of social media companies. So this is what I was talking about a second ago about the success on the merits. So again, the judge is saying that the plaintiffs have a likelihood of success on the merits. So that's a very good sign. Um, and another point to know is when they talk about viewpoint-based uh, suppression of free speech, I've done some cases where I've uh, had to write briefs and, and su such matters on First Amendment cases. And there's basically no grounds for viewpoint-based discrimination. There's Sometimes the government can get away with what's called content-based. That's still very problematic. Um, but if it's viewpoint-based, it never survives constitutional muster. And there's all kinds of opinions and case law supporting that. So back to the author. Read this, Legacy Media. Everyone else should read it too. The White House and Surgeon General demanded that social media platforms censor Americans and use coercion to get there. How many times does this need to be in writing for you to get it? So then she quotes back again to this order. One, White House defendants. On January 23rd, 2021, White House Digital Director for COVID-19 Response Team, Clark Humphrey, emailed Twitter and requested the removal of an anti-COVID-19 vaccine tweet by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. There's a name that's been in the headlines a lot, huh? 
On April 14, 2021, White House Deputy Assistant to the President and Director of Digital Strategy Rob Flaherty demanded censorship by Facebook on a video of Fox News hosts Tucker Carlson and Tommy Lahren where Tucker was saying COVID-19 vaccines don't work and Tommy was saying she won't take a COVID-19 vax. Flaherty demanded immediate answers from Facebook on April 16, 2021 in relation to the video and on April 21st, 2021. Despite not violating Facebook's policies, Facebook gave the video a 50% reduction for seven days and stated it would continue to demote the video. Two, Surgeon General Defendants. Senior advisor to the Surgeon General Eric Waldo, where's Waldo, testified that Surgeon General Dr. Vivek H. Murthy used his office to advocate for social media platforms to take stronger action against health misinformation, which involved putting pressure on social media platforms to reduce the dissemination of health misinformation. That message was given to social media platforms both publicly and privately. In addition to public statements, Murthy had meetings with social media companies called Health Misinformation Poison and called for social media companies to do more to control the reach of health disinformation. When Murthy was calling posts, quote, health disinformation, end quote, he was referring to anti-vaccine posts. Three, CDC defendants. The CDC defendants consistently had regular contact with social media platforms via email, phone, and in-person meetings. The CDC defendants received crowd-tangle reports from Facebook as to the, quote, top-engaged COVID and vaccine-related content. The CDC defendants provided PowerPoint slide decks to Facebook, which provided examples of misinformation topics and made recommendations to Facebook as to whether claims were true or false. Some of the items designated as false by the CDC defendants included medically debatable topics, such as whether COVID-19 had a 99.9% 6% survival rate, whether COVID-19 vaccines weaken the immune system, and the safety of COVID-19 vaccines. Four, NIAID defendants. Dr. Francis Collins sent an email to Dr. Tony Fauci on October 8, 2020, which stated that the Great Barrington Declaration needed to have a, quote, quick and devastating takedown, end quote. Dr. Fauci sent back information to debunk the Great Dar- Great Barrington Declaration, and both Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci followed up with a series of public media statements attacking the Great Barrington Declaration. Thereafter, the Great Barrington Declaration was censored by social media platforms. So this is the kind of stuff that was going on, and this is these facts are what made the judge uh, conclude the plaintiffs are likely to prevail on the merits. So this author goes on to say, The judge is giving the appellate court another glimpse into why he ruled this way on the injunction by, again, showing the government that what they have done is unconstitutional and wrong. The FBI and CISA also worked with social media to censor Americans. Please note that the judge is just as troubled as I am, and all of you are, about, quote, cognitive infrastructure, end quote. So this is back to the ruling. Five FBI defendants. The FBI defendants, along with numerous social media platforms, CISA, the Department of Homeland Security, met consistently at industry meetings. The industry meetings were used by the FBI defendants and others to discuss election disinformation. Prior to the 2020 presidential election, the FBI repeatedly warned social media companies to be alert for hack and dump or hack and leak operations. The Hunter Biden laptop story was published by the Washington Post's 
on October 14, 2020. After being asked by Facebook whether the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation, the FBI's Laura Demlau refused to comment, leading Facebook to suppress the story. The FBI had the laptop since December 2019 and knew the story was not Russian, dif Russian disinformation. Six, CISA defendants. The CISA defendants regularly met with social media platforms at several types of meetings. At those meetings, disinformation was discussed, as well as reports about social media companies' changes to censorship policies. CISA had five sets of recurring meetings with social media platforms that involved discussions of misinformation, disinformation, and or censorship of protected free speech on social media. The CISA defendants collaborated with the Election Integrity Partnership, working with them in a switchboarding operation, which reported alleged election misinformation to social media companies. The alleged election misinformation included claims that, quote, mail-in voting is insecure, end quote, and, quote, theories about election fraud are hard to discount, end quote. CISA director Jen Easterly views the word infrastructure expressively to include our, quote, cognitive infrastructure, end quote, which deals with the way people acquire knowledge and understanding. That's quite creepy. Seven, State Department defendants. The State Department defendants worked closely and collaborated with the Election Integrity Partnership and the Virality Project, who forwarded alleged election misinformation and COVID-19 misinformation to social media companies. The alleged misinformation related to content by American citizens. The alleged disinformation primarily involves social media posts which delegitimize election results and posts which involved anti-vaccine content by such personalities as Alex Berenson, Candace Owens, Tucker Carlson, and John F. Kennedy Jr. The Election Integrity Partnership was designed to get to, to was designed quote to get around unclear legal authorities including very real first amendment questions end quote that would arise if government agencies were to monitor and flag information for censorship on social media. So the author says, yet again, this judge dissects the Article 3 standing argument. So standing, just so you guys know, and I've talked about this in other episodes, you have to have standing to file a lawsuit. Um, so, for instance, if neighbor A and neighbor B are in a contract and neighbor B violates that, you can't go and sue neighbor B because you have no standing. You're not a standing gives you the ability to be a party to that lawsuit. Uh, neighbor A could sue neighbor B for violation of that contract, but because neighbor A would have standing as a party to that contract, just to give you a very kind of simple overview. So standing is one way, especially when you're trying to sue government, they try to get the case thrown out. They say, oh, you don't have standing. So um, that's always a hurdle and one that needs, you know, if you're the attorney for a plaintiff suing the government, you know, one you're going to think about immediately and make sure it doesn't get thrown out on those grounds. That's how a lot of those Trump election cases, um, when they were suing uh, after the election, a lot of those cases were thrown out on standing. That's what's really annoyed me because a lot of people would say, see, there was no, um, you know, safest, securest election ever. And if there was, then... Um, all the courts ruled against Trump, blah, blah, blah. Well, they didn't rule on the merits. They didn't say there wasn't fraud. They actually, most, almost all of them didn't even bother to hear the case. They're thrown out on procedural grounds 
saying uh, the plaintiffs didn't have standing. So that's a very important distinction and just something you'll hear a lot about uh, when you're talking about challenging government. So and the author continues here. The government alleges that plaintiffs Missouri and Louisiana do not have standing to sue. <laughs> See, that was my point right there. Judge disagrees and also let, lets them know that only one plaintiff needs to have standing for the lawsuit to continue. Swing and a miss. And here's what they say about standing in here. B, standing. Defendants further argue that they will prevail as to establishing that plaintiffs lack Article III standing. For the reasons set forth previously in the memorandum ruling, this court found all of plaintiffs are likely to establish all elements of Article III standing. Defendants argue the states of Missouri and Louisiana do not have parents patrie standing to bring a claim against the federal government. This court disagrees. In Massachusetts v. EPA 2007 case, the United States Supreme Court concluded that Massachusetts had standing to sue the EPA to protect its quasi-sovereign interests. The court clarified that because Massachusetts sought to assert its rights under federal law, rather than challenge the federal law's application for its citizens, the state of Massachusetts had standing. Like Massachusetts, the state of Missouri, the states of Missouri and Louisiana are asserting their rights under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution and also asserting rights under each plaintiff state's own constitution. The plaintiff states are likely to prevail on their standing argument because they have adequately alleged and provided evidence supporting injuries to their quasi-sovereign interests as well as direct censorship injuries on social media. There are also individual plaintiffs in this case. Only one plaintiff withstanding is required to be able to maintain the suit. Defendants argue that the individual plaintiffs standing have not shown, quote, irreparable harm, end quote. The individual plaintiffs standing analysis is set forth in the memorandum ruling. The irreparable harm element was also specifically discussed in the memorandum ruling. Violation of a First Amendment constitutional right, even for a short period of time, is always irreparable injury. That's Elrod v. Burns. That's a Supreme Court case he's quoting from, from 1976. Accordingly, for the reasons set forth previously, the plaintiffs have shown there is a substantial risk that future harm is likely to occur and that they are likely to satisfy the requirements of Article Three standing. And the author here says, the judge makes sure to let the government know our First Amendment rights are more important than government interests. So, returning to the opinion. Public interest, C, public interest and harm. Defendants further maintain they will irreparably injured absent a stay and that the balance of the equities weighs heavily in the defendant's favor of granting a stay. Again, this court disagrees. As discussed in the memorandum ruling, the First Amendment free speech rights of plaintiffs is far outweighed, far outweighs, sorry, the defendant's interests. Defendants argue that the injunction may be read to prevent the defendants from engaging in a vast range of lawful conduct, including speaking on matters of public concern and working with social media companies on initiatives to prevent grave harm to the American people and our democratic processes. However, the preliminary injunction only prohibits what the defendants have no right to do, urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any matter the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech on social media platforms. The defendants provide no argument that they are legally allowed to take such action. 
The defendants are asking the court to grant them relief to a preliminary injunction that only bars illegal conduct. I love that right there. In other words, the only effect of staying the preliminary injunction would be to free defendants to urge, encourage, pressure, or induce the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech on social media platforms. And so right here, the, the court does detail all the things government's still allowed to do. And it's basically, hey, you can do your normal roles, agencies. You just can't violate people's rights, even though places like CNN would tell you to the contrary. The problem here is the government can't even provide one example of something they wouldn't legally be able to do. All of the concerns they originally cited were exempt. The author states here, the government couldn't understand what protected free speech meant. So now the judge really spells it out for him. So this is D, specificity of preliminary injunction. Additionally, defendants argue that the preliminary injunction is sweeping in scope and vague in its terms. A preliminary injunction must describe in reasonable detail the act or acts restrained or required. That's Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 65. An ordinary person reading the court's order must be able to ascertain from the document itself exactly what conduct is proscribed or prohibited. That's Louisiana v. Biden, 2022. Defendants argue that both the prohibited conduct and the conduct that is not prohibited is vague. Defendants first argue the definition of protected free speech is vague because it refers to jurisprudence of the United States Supreme Court, the U.S. Court of Appeals, and U.S. District Courts. Defendants question whether an agency official would be required to research the laws of every federal court to determine what is protected free speech. In order to clarify the definition of protected free speech in the preliminary injunction, the court will modify the definition of protected free speech in note three to read as follows. Protected free speech means speech which is protected by the free speech clause of the First Amendment to the United States Constitution in accordance with the jurisprudence of the United States Supreme Court. I think that's hilarious that um, the judge really lays it, lays it down on there. It's sad that the government is saying, well, we can't not violate people's rights because um, what, are you, what are we going to have to do, a legal analysis? It's like, no, just don't violate people's First Amendment rights, how about? <laughs> so the judge is really not having it here as he shouldn't because that's just utterly ridiculous um, that they try to hide behind this argument as, well, what are we going to have to do, a legal analysis? as an excuse to not violate everyone's First Amendment rights. But the judge, again, points out to the coercion and viewpoint discrimination by the government and that plaintiffs will likely win. Three, conclusion. Plaintiffs are likely to prove that all the enjoined defendants coerced, significantly encouraged, and or jointly participated social media companies to suppress social media posts by American citizens that express opinions that were anti-COVID-19 vaccines anti-COVID lockdowns, posts that delegitimize or question the results of the 2020 election, and other content not subject to any exception to the First Amendment. These items are protected free speech and were seemingly censored because of the viewpoints they expressed. Viewpoint discrimination is subject to strict scrutiny. So strict scrutiny is what I was talking about. It's that highest standard and if you're the government facing strict scrutiny, you're almost always going to lose. 
And viewpoint discrimination, as the judge says, triggers that. So that goes back to that earlier point. And this author says, God bless Judge Terry A. Dotry. Amen. So there you go. Um, the order on the stay made the preliminary injunction even more abundantly clear and upheld that injunction. So again, that was on the order, I believe, was July 10th. And like I said, the preliminary injunction was on the 4th, fittingly. So big wins for free speech. Where will it go? Well, it, it looks like the defendants are going to appeal. So the judges laid out a great roadmap for the appellate court. Um, we'll just have to hope we get an appellate court that isn't entirely corrupt. So stay tuned for that. It really is crazy, though, how the feds think they can do whatever they want. The Constitution, to them, simply a piece of paper. It's an inconvenience. Our rights are absolutely worthless to them. That's the world we live in. That's why we have to stick together. That's why I'm so thankful for all of you who tune into the show, who do your part here, stay informed, and push back on this insane tyranny we live under before it's too late. This decision was definitely a much-needed positive breath of fresh air. We all need that from time to time. Um, so it's, it's nice to report on some positive things when I can. Uh, nice to see there's still a couple of judges with balls left. So if you guys like this episode, I'll do another update in the future as those come in, maybe six months from now, who knows. And until next episode, I hope everyone is having a nice night or day. We'll see you soon. Peace. Thank you.